0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor
1: Sam Allen. And again, the 12 are listening, the 70 are being prepared, they're about to go out. And he says, if you're rejected, I don't want you to take it personal. Because they're not just rejecting you, they're not even primarily rejecting you, they're rejecting me because I sent you. And they're rejecting the Father who sent me. So it's always about the message, we're just messengers.
0: In today's broadcast, we're taking up where we left off yesterday with part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Lord of the Harvest. We take up today in verse 4 of Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be considering Jesus sending out the 70 their mission, and their return. So let's listen in.
1: We see then his plan. He anoints and empowers, ordains, and sends out the 70. He says, partner up and then be praying and then go preaching and and, and be gentle and, and like lambs among wolves. Realize there's danger. You can trust me to care for you. You can trust me to provide for you. That latter part of verse four is a little bit strange. It says, greet no one along the road. And it's sort of the other side of the coin for something that's going to be very useful and, and a benefit to him. And that's the great hospitality that was exercised there in the East in the first century and really continues to be exercised by many here in the 21st century. It's hard for us to imagine a culture where if you came to town, lots of people would just open their doors and take you in. But that's how it was in those days. So he's saying, be careful on your mission not to get distracted, not to get, well, Here's what had happened. You'd be walking down the road. Somebody say, hey, it's hot. Come on in and let's have some tea. And then let's, hey, let's kill a lamb and let's have a dinner. And, and pretty soon you've spent a week there. And, and that wouldn't have been unusual. So he's saying on this mission, I want you to be focused, goal oriented. And, and so sometimes people's good intentions, just their exercising hospitality could actually be a hindrance to those guys accomplishing the mission that they were sent to accomplish. Now, again, Pam and I are so different and you know opposites attract. They say that, it's absolutely true, and I found it's a strength. I didn't know this before I became a Christian. I thought my job was to make her think like me and do things like me. She kept waiting for me to become more like her dad or her grandpa, who both happened to be very mechanical and engineers and Everything I'm not and never will be. She's figured that out now. But you know, it takes a little more than 30 years for some of us to, to get this right. And so, my point is as different as we are, those of you who know us well, you know that if you see her in the store and you're in a hurry, you're in trouble. She is so relational. It could be an hour conversation and you know, your husband's waiting and, and my, you know, I'm waiting for her. We're both looking and say, what happened? And if you see me in the store, chances are I, I am goal oriented. I'll just wave and smile and say, Hi, how you doing? But I don't wait to find out because I need those milk duds. That's what I'm there for. And and uh, and so I, I share this with you only to say this whole thing makes sense. You know, greet no one along the road, you know, keep moving. Accomplish your goal. Well, I'm goal oriented. She's more relational than I am. And so uh, both are a strength. Both can be a problem. And, And so, well, whatever house you enter, verse five, first say peace to this house it's a common jewish greeting just saying hey god's peace be upon you peace be to your home peace be to you he says if a son of peace is there your peace will rest on it if not it will return to you now i think this is exceedingly important and it's one of those places where remembering that that, that inner circle peter james and john were most likely standing close by they would have been paying attention and he is reminding these who are going out and those who've gone before and will go again that they're on a mission of peace that they're representing the prince of peace so they're pronouncing peace and if the person in whom who, you know, they they meet up with, who starts to open their house, isn't a son of peace. In other words, they're not really into this message. They're not really wanting to connect with the Lord. He says, your peace will return and then you just move on. And, And, you know, you don't make it a big thing. You just pronounce peace you you declare what you're there for and then if it if they're open and hospitable they want to hear more then then great if not well then you take off and you just move down the street and that's what he says in verse seven remain in the same house eating and drinking such things as they give for the laborer is worthy of his wages do not go from house to house Now, remember when Jesus said that that if you leave father or mother or sister or brother or, or lands or other things for my sake, you will inherit many more in this life and then again in the world to come. The idea here is that he had already provided by building into the culture the kind of hospitality that would be necessary, but there needed to be some some rules as to how you related when you came to town. Remember, they're moving into small towns and doors would be open and hospitality would be exercised, but he didn't want them going from one house to another because that could set up competition among people. I mean, these guys are going to come and, and heal the sick. They're going to cast demons out of people. So, you know, they're staying here and all of a sudden the neighbors saying, oh man, come and stay with us. We have more room. We have a better place. And knowing human nature, not only could it be competitive among those they're visiting, there could be a problem in their own hearts where they look across the street and say, "Man, that's way nicer over there." And and uh, you know, and, and so he's just saying, "You find a place. They open their their home to you. Stay in that house." Now. There was also something in the um, laws that the Jews had put together regarding how to recognize a false prophet or a false teacher. And one of the things they said is, if they come and they go house to house, they're a false teacher or a false prophet. If they come and they ask for money, they're a false teacher or a false prophet. If they come and they stay longer than three days... They're a false teacher, a false prophet. And and so he wants to make sure that there's no misunderstanding. These guys are there to give. The hospitality will be exercised. Uh, They'll be protected and provided for. And he says, hey, the laborer is worthy of his wages, but don't go house to house. Now, the next thing he has to say there in verse eight is whatever city you enter, And they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Now, again, if you haven't done much traveling, this just sort of sounds like, yeah, you know, well, you know, when in Rome, right? Or whatever, eat whatever they eat. Well, in Rome, that's not bad. They eat Italian food over there. You know, it's spaghetti and lasagna and all kinds of great stuff. But Japan, a lot of raw stuff. And uh, and maybe you're into that. By the way, a lot of people are today, but my first trip to Japan, when I went there, there were no restaurants in Chico serving raw fish or raw eggs or raw beef. And if you, I mean, you know, it's one thing to, to like put a bunch of wasabi on, on some, uh, you know, fish and, and eat it that's uncooked. Although that's still a little trippy to me, but, but, um, but man, to, to, to go in and, and we're staying at this beautiful resort with our friends in Japan. We'd been working for over a week, day after day, ministering morning and evening. So they say, we're going to go up to this resort. We go up there, we get up in the morning and there's this big old breakfast thing. And, and we look, and it looked like hard boiled eggs. We were so excited because it was just raw, raw, raw. And, you know, we read this passage, eat what's set before you. We understood we could offend them if we didn't. So we go and we say, we like some of those hard boiled eggs. And they go, oh, those are raw, I go, raw. What do you do with them? Now you put them over the rice. I'm like, could you get that rice really hot? Because I'm thinking, I'm hoping, you know, you crack the egg and, and maybe it will cook it a little bit. And if you've never been in those situations, well, I, I'm just one of those guys. I mean, I gag down stuff that, that you know, I Pam's like, I can't believe you ate that. You know, I'm like, I can't believe I ate it either. You know, and I did learn this. Here's another tip for missions work, because this is all about missions work. We're doing a lot of missions work and we want you to be a part is uh, If you're in a foreign culture and there's something that you actually like, make a huge thing of it. Because here's what I found. We'd be in one house and we ate in houses mainly. This is another reason it's easy to offend people. I would say, oh, that was the best thing. I've never had anything as good as that. Tempura. It's cooked. And I'm like, tempura, but you can't get that in the States. So the next meal at the next house, there'd be this big old huge thing of that. And there'd be less and less because there's only so much room on a plate of the stuff that was raw. And so I I did finally, you know, start figuring it out. I pass it on to you. It's practical. (laughs) But he's saying, you know, eat the things that are set before you. Now, Peter has an issue with this. Some of you are aware of it. He's been raised in an environment where he's been taught these things are okay to eat these things aren't okay to eat they're kosher food and non-kosher food and at one point there's a there's a guy named Cornelius who has a vision and in the vision he sees Peter coming to him Peter's on the rooftop having a vision himself and, and during his vision while he waits for food to come the Lord lets down this great sheet he looks on it and there's all kinds of stuff that he's not supposed to eat and the Lord says rise Peter kill and eat And Peter and well, as only Peter can says, no way, Lord, that's not going to happen. I've never let anything unclean enter through these lips. And and, uh, and so the issue is sometimes even what we've been taught to do and told to do by the Lord, we're going to have to not compromise because you don't have to compromise ever. But what you do need to do is listen to the Lord. And if he says, hey, I know what I told you. And I'm blessed that you've been doing it. But right now I want you to do this. And and that's what he does for Peter. Why? Two lessons. One, he was going to send them to the Gentiles. So he was going to need to eat in the homes of the Gentiles. And he's not going to be able to say, no, I don't eat that. I don't eat that. No, I can't have that. Oh, that lobster looks good. But no, I can't have that. No, 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 no. He just says, eat whatever's put before you. That's the physical, practical. There's also a spiritual lesson. When he finally does get together with Cornelius, he says, now I get it. God receives anyone who comes to him, anyone who repents and comes to him. I've learned that I'm not to call anyone, not just anything, but anyone unclean because, well, God had cleansed them as well. Well, he tells them then to go Enter, receive, eat, and then heal the sick. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You're aware or should be 400 years of silence from the close of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New no evidence of any miracles during that point. So when John comes saying repent and Jesus follows with miracles and such, well, they were really demonstrations that the kingdom was in their midst, that the king had come, that the the tide was turning, the times were changing and the fulfillment of prophecy was at hand. And, And so he's telling these guys, I'm gonna empower you supernaturally to work miracles just like the 12 did. And this will be a testimony that God is working again, that the kingdom has come, that the king is coming. And when you enter a city and they don't receive you, verse 10, go into the streets and say, the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Now, They weren't to take this personally, they're representing him. So he says, when they reject you, and he'll make this very clear in a moment, when they reject you, I just want you to tell them the kingdom has come near to you. In other words, you don't take it all personally. You don't get all worked up over it. You just shake the dust off your feet. You shake it off. You know, we use that expression, just shake it off. And then then he says, it'll be more tolerable for that city or in that day for Sodom than that city. Now, this is something that you really need to spend a moment thinking about. Sodom had already been judged. What's he talking about? A judgment of Sodom. Well, he's talking about the people, not just the city. And the greater judgment... For those who reject Christ or, or, or hate God or, or live in opposition to him, isn't the physical judgment of their death, though the wages of sin is death. Yes, that's true. The greater judgment is yet ahead. Revelation chapter 20 says that death and Hades will give up its dead. The sea will give up its dead. They'll all stand before God. Every unbeliever will stand in a judgment called the great white throne judgment. Books will be opened and will be judged by the things in the books. And anyone not found written in the book of life will be cast in to outer darkness, to Gehenna, never to be heard from again. Now, now here's the, the crazy thing. He's saying he would hold them accountable based on the experience they had had with him. And that's what he means. He says if Sodom, hey, those people will be judged. They'll face the final judgment. By the way, no believer appears at the great white throne judgment of God. No unbeliever will be at that place where we stand in judgment where our sins have already been judged, so our works will be judged, tested by fire. Some will be burnt up, wood, hay, and stubble. Some will survive, will be rewarded for those, but no unbeliever will stand in that judgment. Well, he begins to pronounce woes. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida. Now, these are cities north of Capernaum where he was based. And they're nearby. He'd done mighty works there. And he testifies to that. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. Just like Jonah in Nineveh, the Ninevites repented in sackcloth and ashes. And he's saying, listen, With great privilege comes great responsibility. And so the the picture he shares with us that he wants us to grab hold of is that the judgment is sure and that those cities and those people in those cities who saw so much, Capernaum, this is his base of operation. It was the town of Nahum. It was greatly populated. It was prosperous but more than that, Jesus lived there for a season. He ministered there with his disciples. They heard him teach. They saw the miracles. They knew God was at work in their midst. But he says, you Capernaum, you're exalted to heaven. You'll be brought down to Hades And he who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. That last phrase is a reminder. And again, the 12 are listening, the 70 are being prepared, they're about to go out. And he says, if you're rejected, I don't want you to take it personal. Because they're not just rejecting you, they're not even primarily rejecting you, they're rejecting me because I sent you and they're rejecting the father who sent me. So it's always about the message. We're just messengers. And so as we bring the message, as we preach the good news, as we confront sin and and preach what God's intention is for mankind and and preach Jesus, God's only hope for mankind. Well, he says, if they hear you, they're going to hear me. If they reject you, they're rejecting me and they're rejecting the father, the one who sent me. Well, at this point, the 70 return with joy saying, Lord, verse 17, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now they're blown away. I mean, he empowers them. He sends them out. He gives them power over disease and demons and such. And they come back rejoicing, praise report, nothing wrong with that. They're celebrating their success. But Jesus, in essence, says there's no time to really look back. The battle's still ahead. And he says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Some have suggested he's he's saying that in their success, he saw Satan falling. That's possible. Some say he was looking ahead to the cross where he would absolutely, uh, you know, conquer Satan through the blood he shed, through the cross he died on. And, and that's possible, but it doesn't say, I see Satan or I'm looking ahead. He says, I saw Satan and I think he's just pointing back to the reality of Satan's actual fall. Isaiah 14 tells us that five times Satan said, I will, I'll exalt myself. I'll stand on the the height of the congregation. I will be like the most high. He says five times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And God says, no, you won't. In Ezekiel 28, we, we see that he, Satan, What was in the garden of God covered with every precious stone. And he says that that he was perfect in all his ways. He made him perfect until iniquity was found in him. He his heart was lifted up because of his own beauty, because of his own splendor. And he rebelled against God. So so I think there's a double warning here not to get caught up in what God's already done, not to overrejoice. Hey, rejoice, but then look ahead. And then the other thing is, is don't grow prideful as Satan did, looking at your success and thinking, wow, we're really doing something here. Well, he goes on in verse 19 to say, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It's an interesting picture. Already mentioned the great white throne judgment. The books are open. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. He says, here's the ultimate issue of life. I made mention of this some weeks back as like a preview because I love to, to camp on those things that are so essential and make sure you're always seeing them so you'll share them. It's not about what we can do or what we have done or even what God's done through us. Even if we're smart enough to give him all the glory for it, it's about standing before him someday and hearing well done and enter in. And that's what we have to look forward to. Your name is in the book of life or it isn't. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life or it isn't. And if you're unsure, man, give your life to him today. There's a mystery that we'll come to when we go through the book of Ephesians. And it's sort of like on one side of this, this arch, it says, Whoever, you know, whosoever will come. And you pass through and you look back and it says chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. At this point, we're on this side of the gate and it's whosoever will come. If you come through, you're going to find that he's always been pursuing you. He's chosen you. He's loved you. He laid down his life that you might have life and that more abundantly. Well, they rejoiced that they had power. Jesus rejoiced in the spirit saying, verse 21, and we'll conclude with these last verses. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things From the wise and prudent, and he means wise in a worldly way, wise in their own eyes, and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see these things. Or blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it.
0: As Jesus prepared his disciples for the rejection that they were sure to face, Jesus made it clear, as Pastor Sam pointed out, that it was him that they were rejecting. Rejection at the hands of his creation is nothing new to God. Isaiah 53.3 says this about our Lord and Savior. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Now, what I'm about to share might sound a little strange to you, but I find it fascinating and encouraging. The Apostle Paul called this rejection the fellowship of his suffering. He called it an honor to be counted worthy to share this suffering with Jesus, and that it would help make him more like Jesus and to know him better. Imagine if you and I learned to think and feel that way how it would change our impact on this world for Jesus Christ. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.